and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real-life HR situations we face every day. today's episode, I'm joined by Mark Morial. Mark is a civic leader and current president of the National Urban League. He's also served as the mayor of New Orleans, was one of the city's youngest mayors. He has also been president of the United States Conference of Mayors in 2001 and is a uh, Louisiana state senator from 1992 to 1994. So join me as I have a great discussion with Mark. Making Juneteenth a national holiday has made me think, what else are we missing in history that needs attention so we don't repeat some of those mistakes? Um, From your perspective, what historical events in terms of race do we as a culture need to start understanding and studying? It's a very good question. Of course, uh, I'm excited about Juneteenth becoming a national holiday, but, uh, you know, symbolic gestures are important, but uh, don't replace substance. I often think that we all need a refresher uh, in American history from the very beginning of the founding of the nation and the very beginning of really uh, to learn about the long, long history of thousands and thousands of years of people uh, on the North American continent uh, who preceded uh, the arrival of Europeans and who preceded the Uh, arrival of enslaved Africans. Uh, We need to understand uh, that, not that we can rewrite it or change it or undo it, but we need to be much more clear-eyed about it. And I think we have to understand uh, with the United States that uh, its principles uh, uh, were very, very powerful, but the implementation was, was lacking in substantial ways. Uh, because of what uh, Condoleezza Rice refers to and others refer to, but I've heard her refer to it as America's original sin, which was really the enslavement of other human beings. Now, why, what is it to learn? It, it is not about, you can't rewrite what happened. It is understanding what happened in a more accurate sense because history teaches us that we should not repeat the same mistakes. We should not uh, uh, do what we once did, Uh, that people repressing people, whether it is through the American system of slavery, whether through it's the awful scourge of the Holocaust, whether it's the trail of tears that affected indigenous uh, Americans, uh, we, we need to learn the truth and understand that the truth could be and will be uncomfortable. Uh, for many people, but for us to learn it makes it uh, makes us better able to confront the present uh, and the future. And so uh, I think that there's a lot in terms of historical uh, terms. One of the things that trends that I think is a positive trend is the effort to remove uh, uh, statutes that were placed all over the United States uh, to Confederate generals and Confederate heroes. And think about this. uh, The Confederacy was really an effort to overthrow the government of the United States, to uh, create a nation 
uh, that constitutionally endorsed slavery. Uh, and the Confederacy lost the Civil War uh, to Abraham Lincoln and the North. And uh, there was a, 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 a plan, a, you know, a, a steps to unite the country. Uh, and Confederates then went out and literally put up monuments to uh, uh, to uh, people who lost the war, put up monuments to people who tried to overthrow the government of the United States in an effort to glorify them. We have to recognize, you know, how damaging that was, how it was a basically finger-in-your-face moment by those in the Confederacy. My own hometown uh, had so many of these statues and so many things named. Were named after, they were not named after great Americans. Uh, they were named after uh, Confederates who sought to overthrow the country. There's, so there's much that we can learn. But I also think we have to learn and embrace the very idea that every ethnic group has made positive contributions uh, to uh, this North American piece of land called the United States of America, this, this country of ours. And, and, and that for me to lift up my pride uh, is not a diminution of your pride. Uh, that we all need to recognize the substantial contributions and and that uh, 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 how far and how difficult it was for people to overcome, whether it was slavery, uh, whether it was uh, famines in Europe, whether it was, and it's not the equivalent, it's not to say these things are equivalent, that's not the point. Point is, is to recognize what makes the nation special uh, is its ability to transform to becoming a true multicultural democracy uh, that has a fundamental set of values called equal opportunity and economic and social justice and uh, and and freedoms. Uh, that that's a fundamental basis. I think it's so interesting when we talk about history how the textbooks frame it and how if you're going to be a true student of something, you need to dig deeper and you need to understand context and meaning and uh, what's not in your typical history books. So I, I really appreciate, you know, what you shared there. You know, a lot of social justice topics have come up in the last 18 months. And I think I've heard this question asked a couple different ways, but I'll pose it to you. You know, what's one way to make active change that's not a protest? Um, because sometimes that can be seen is to create, you know, pushback and change and, and it doesn't help move change forward. What are some other things that that those who want to be active in the change should be doing? Uh, let me offer this thought, I mean, as, a, as sort of a precursor, and that is to, uh, and this is part of American history, the United States was animated, encouraged by a protest. It was called the Boston Tea Party. It was a protest against the Stamp Act. It was a protest uh, whose principle was that you cannot tax us uh, without representation. It was a protest against decisions being made without the input of people. It was a protest. Uh, and I understand some people may be uncomfortable with protests, but it's uh, 
why uh, in this nation protest is protected by the First Amendment, right to free speech, the right to free press, and the right to peacefully assemble. Having said that, it is true. Everyone doesn't want to participate in a protest. But now people have the opportunity to also weigh in from their phone by participating in online activism. Uh, People have a way to participate by bringing truthful conversations to their places of worship or to their family gatherings or to civic and social organizations that they're part of. Uh, People have an opportunity to give uh, both time and financially to causes and purposes. Uh, The most important thing is for people to make, I think, an individual commitment to uh, re-educate as we all do ourselves uh, and to learn what we don't know and to be introspective sometimes about it. But many ways you can be active without uh, walking in a protest. And, you know, I think that people should understand, I always say, but understand protest is as American as Betsy Ross's flag. You know, and you may not like this protest or you may be uncomfortable with that one, but it is a time honored, you know, American tradition. But there are many ways to participate. For example, those in the workplace uh, who are part of structures and uh, uh, seminars and workshops and suppose that 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 encourage courageous conversations or a company which says we're going to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion in a real way in our policies. We're going to be very responsible as a company to the communities where we serve. Those are all a combination of ways. Uh, But, you know, personal commitments are important and collective commitments are important. And I know the times in which we live, people are reexamining, you know, and and, and that's a good thing for people to sometimes reexamine their thought processes and about why uh, this uh, issue of race, this issue of racial justice is so critical to the United States. You know, we're trying to build, I hope we are, I think we are, I think many of us are, maybe everyone's not, trying to build a nation that uh, really says we're going to make the 21st century the century where the values that were written on paper are going to be a true reality for everyone. As you were talking about re-education, I think that's so important. As I think about my own journey in this space, I'm continuing to push myself to learn new things and be more conscious of my speech and those types of things. You know, is there any recommendations that you have on books or articles or podcasts or you know, public people that can help us start to re-educate ourselves around the issues? Boy, there's so many. Uh, You know, I love my own book, The Gumbo Coalition. I would recommend my own book, The Gumbo Coalition. But I think there's also uh, movies. Look, I love 12 Years a Slave. I love the movie about uh, Jackie Robinson, uh, the the biography. Uh, There are many, many, uh, uh, you know, video products, uh, Uh, There are many, many books uh, and places. I mean, there's also just using old Google eyes 
and letting Google do be your eye uh, and uh, and uh, Googling, you know, authors and contemporary writers on uh, racial justice. So Michael Eric Dyson is a great scholar of these times, uh, a great friend of the National Urban League. And, uh, you know, I would I would certainly recommend them. I have great, great fond admiration for Nicole Hannah-Jones, who just accepted uh, and while many some people criticize uh, the 1619 project was a brilliant piece of scholarship. Uh, you know, you you know when people curse the 1619 project, to me it's like cursing the sun or cursing the fact that uh, the world is round and you still believe it's flat. I mean, some things are interesting. You're entitled to your opinion, and you're entitled to your uninformed opinion. Uh, so there's many, many scholars. There are many, many movies. I also think that cross-racial friendships, uh, the opportunity to learn more about people and how they grew up. You know, you always interestingly think you know someone and then they tell you how they've grown up. And it can be quite interesting, right? You may not have known uh, the challenges they may have faced uh, uh, and that goes across racial lines. So I think that that's, a, that's something that can happen. All, more, more often, it can also happen in the American workplace. Uh, you know, uh, it can happen in, in, in social settings. But, you know, we have to commit. You know, racism is a disease. It's a sickness. It's a, it's a pathology that is, you know, permeated the nation. It's, it's the judgment of people simply based on skin color. People say, what is racism? It's the divvying up of opportunity based on skin color. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's a system which does that, and which is a system that has historically done that, right? Uh, and what happens is you end up writing the rules in a way that protects that, uh, that system. But this moment that we're in uh, is an important moment. But look, I tell people, don't be intimidated by the pushback. I had an executive tell me, Lord, I've got people opposed uh, to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I said, you know, you go back. I said, there were people who were vehemently opposed 50 years ago to the idea that women should serve in executives in business. I mean, you go back and, oh, the whole thing's going to fall apart. It's going to be the worst thing in the world. Uh, uh, no, and we don't have gender equity. We know we don't have gender equity. But the presence of women executives, not the presence of black executives, the presence of African-American mayors and congressmen hasn't destroyed anything. How can we provide true allyship to black communities to help pave the way for better understanding of unconscious bias for better education in schools, you know, better equity overall. I'm really a big believer. I think the more I think about it in the workplace, a more formalized training about unconscious bias, because I think it's hard to, some people can automatically see themselves. It's called self-awareness. Some people can't see themselves. And they, 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 and, and they don't, they may not understand how forces 
turn them into who they were, right? It's like the person uh, who uh, I, I met one time who said, look, I was literally taught to be a racist in the house I grew up in. I said, because all I heard was a steady, steady, steady drumbeat of negativity about African-Americans, whether they were poor, whether they were successful, whether they, if they, you know, whatever it is, it was a negative drumbeat. He says, I realized, you know, my, 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 my household taught me, right? My community taught me. And then when I got outside of that, got a little bit older, my self-awareness said, why? Boy, you know, I've been taught that because so many people around me were that way. Uh, I think one of the important things is self-awareness. You know, to be very self-aware that you could, and, and what I also say is it's important for people to understand you can be a fair-minded person, uh, a fair-minded white person, uh, but also live in a racist environment or system and get some advantages from it. You know, and it's not, it's, it's not, on, it's not, it's about being aware. And uh, so workplaces are important. Uh, community groups are important, but uh, unconscious bias, uh, uh, whites have unconscious bias, black people have, we all have unconscious bias on some level. The question is, are we, can we recognize it? And can we not, you know, learn not to act on these impulses? And it's all about us becoming better people because we want a better community and a better society. With all of the senior level leaders that you've worked with, CEOs, COOs, what obligations do you think businesses have related to social justice? So business has been provided uh, in America, a system of, uh, uh, of taxes, which incentivize and encourage uh, business formation. Businesses don't pay taxes on their expenses. They only pay taxes on their profits or their net income. Businesses have been provided uh, 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 with, uh, uh, in many respects, the opportunity to grow. I think business is really important because uh, we've created a system in the United States where people gain value from their work and their titles. And it is in that environment where business has the power to change. I tell corporate leaders all the time, reform your own house. In other words, make your own house more diverse, make it more equitable, make it more inclusive, create a stronger uh, camaraderie, a stronger environment. In the last 12 months, I'd love for you to share an experience that you've witnessed where you saw someone demonstrate allyship where it was positive. Um, and what was, what was that like? What was that impact that you saw that um, because of those acts that person had on other people? Well, I had a George Floyd moment that I probably should share in response to this. That was, you know, quite interesting. You know, I, uh, when I grew up in New Orleans, I, uh, uh, the elementary school, the middle school and the high school I went to, I was the first or one of the first black students to attend that school because schools were being integrated. 
My middle school, I was the first African-American, along with one other boy, to go to this school. And uh, and uh, it was a big deal because the school was 40 to 50 minutes away on the public bus. I had to ride the public bus starting in fifth grade. So I grew up fast and learned to be very independent very fast. But uh, given the environment, this is in the late 1960s, uh, and uh, and uh, going to this school and being called the N-word constantly by classmates. And more often, not by people I was in class with, but by older boys who would see you or walk past you. And, and, and so it was somewhat unsettling. I got, you know, got in my, my share of, you know, fist fights, defending my honor and defending my integrity. Because, well, I got a letter last July from uh, uh, someone I had gone to school with way back then. And it was an apology letter. And it was very touchingly written. I saw the name. I vaguely remembered uh, the, 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 the man who then was a boy like me. And it said that the George Floyd incident had caused him to re-examine some things about himself. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was an apology letter. It was, it, was, it, was, it was very powerful. It was very personal. And it, it, it grabbed me emotionally because, you know, I'd forgotten about, not forgotten, but didn't remember him, didn't remember the specifics because it happened so much, right, that you became very resilient and tough in, in dealing with uh, these things. So, you know, it, it was a moment that, you know, uh, I thought to myself, he was moved enough to hunt me down. It's not someone I've had contact with. I mean, I'm in the public eye, certainly, uh, and send me a note. And, and so it, you know, it's my moment, right? My very special personal moment was getting this apology letter, uh, you know, uh, 45 plus years later. Wow. This was middle school, fifth and sixth grade. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, we, we recognize that in a moment, there are moments in American history that shock the American consciousness. George Floyd shocked the American consciousness. 9-11 shocked the American consciousness. Uh, the Birmingham response by Bull Connor turning on fire hoses and dogs on little girls and boys dressed up in their Sunday best coming from church shocked the American consciousness. These these things that shock. And I think uh, George Floyd has, and my encouragement to people is it is a continuum for us to change the country. There's a lot of things we can do. There's a backlash against voting in this country. We should have passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Bill a long time ago. But there are those opposed to it. This is not easy uh, uh, to do. And, and But uh, I'm committed. Hope everyone listening who is of, of mind, of like mind, is absolutely committed. So as we wrap up our discussion, Mark, I thought it'd be great if you could share a little bit what's top of mind for the National Urban League. And if someone wants to get involved, how do they do that? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, love the relationship uh, with you guys. Uh, go to our website at nul.org. We have a 
zip code locator where you can locate one of the 91 Urban League affiliates nearest you. Secondly, you can go and sign up to become an online supporter where you'll get uh, information on all of our work and our activities. Uh, And you can also be part of our always interesting conversation on social media at Nat Urban League across all channels at Nat Urban League. And you can follow me at Mark Morial across all social channels. We have focused on democracy, justice, and equity, protecting the right to vote, making our uh, institutions, whether they're corporate or criminal justice, more just, and then working on equity in health, education, economics, housing across the board through programs and through advocacy. And that's what we do. And to learn more about us, go to nul.org. Thank you again, Mark, for spending some time with me today. Sherry, thanks so much. Uh, We'll see you next time. And thanks to the Paylocity team. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.